What if everything you thought you knew about the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases wasn't true? Join a veteran Buffalo City detective, a veteran Canadian Pacific police captain, and a veteran NCIS special agent, along with their guests, as they dissect the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases from their perspective in an unvarnished podcast focusing on crime, corruption, and media bias. It's Search Warrant, coming right at you. Hello, and uh, welcome to Search Warrant. I am Anna Midlars. I'm a former detective with the City of Buffalo Police Department, and with me are my co-hosts, Thomas Purcell, a veteran captain of the Canadian Pacific Railroad, and John Stebbin, a veteran special agent with the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Today we're gonna, we have a special guest to address the criminal justice and bail reform in New York State, which has already been proven to be a detriment to communities and a slap in the face for victims and law enforcement alike. Our distinguished guest is a former New York State trooper that rose to the ranks of captain and served for 15 years and was later elected sheriff of Erie County which uh, he implemented many divisions in Erie County that I had the privilege of working with during my career. Uh, joining us from Albany is New York State Senator Patrick Gallivan of the 59th District. Welcome, Senator. Well, thanks for having me today. Nice to hear from you guys. Thank you. I know you voted against this dangerous law. Can you please tell our listeners about it and what your office is currently doing to fix it? Sure. I think you you described it very aptly. Dangerous law. Our our state, our communities are less safe today than they were a year ago. They're less safe today than they were a month ago. Well, about a month and a half ago, since the implementation of these changes, January first, most of the attention is being paid to the the so-called bail reform, but there's also discovery changes that. Uh, will also have have a significant effect, but I'll focus a little bit more on the on the bail reform. I did vote against it, and the reason I voted against it is because I I, I think we in government we need to uh, the government's fundamental responsibility here time and time again. Governor Cuomo, the state of the state, even said it is mm-hmm. to protect its people, public safety. And New York State is failing with the passing of these laws. So essentially what the bail reform law did is it eliminated the option of cash bail in well over 90% of cases. Now, New York is one of only three states where a judge does not have the discretion to consider public safety when making a decision whether or not to hold somebody on bail or to hold them without bail. So the law, in addition to the removal of of bail in 90, 90% of the cases as an option, has pretty much eliminated discretion that judges have. Uh, we elect judges. They are educated people. They're supposed to be responsible to the community. And we elect them to exercise judicial discretion. And in this particular case, the discretion has been removed to them. So the option is... Mm-hmm to try to get it changed, of course. And the only way to be able to do that is to try to make enough noise to speak to convince the lawmakers that are standing in the way of this, the legislative leaders that are standing in the way of putting amendments onto the floor in both the Assembly and the Senate for a vote to try to get them to change. And the irony is, you know, as a, as a representative, you're supposed to be 
the people's voice, the, the district that you represent. You're supposed to be the people's voice, in this case, right. in company, as opposed to dictating or dictating citizens what's good for them. And I, I think the legislative leaders have it backwards in this case. But, but philosophical, you know, waxing philosophical about politics, uh, you know, we can do that, but the reality of this is our communities are less safe. We've seen examples in the first month of this legislation across in all types of communities, urban, suburb, rural, where people have been arrested for various things only to be released and out reoffending again. Yeah. Up to and including killing somebody out on Long Island in New York City, among other things. And the list goes on. And I guess... There was a there's an individual who was suspected of committing six bank robberies since December 30th in the New York City area. Wow. And this particular guy, when he got out, he said, "What were they thinking? How could they release somebody like me?" That's a bad guy who says. Yeah, that's a bad guy. Oh God. Yeah, and I think that sums it up very well. What were they thinking? And, yeah. And now we're looking at criminal justice policies in New York State that have favored offenders over law-abiding citizens and communities. Well, Senator, what, what were they thinking? Were they, what was the reason behind this law? Were they trying to be um, a little more for the, uh, the uh, suspects, so trying to get them to be heard? Well, I think one of the motivating factors, if you, you look at some of the disparities over time, uh, mm-hmm. the way that people of color were treated by the criminal justice system. And certainly, when we go back in time, they were not treated fairly. But right. in, in my mind, there's no question about it. Police, law enforcement officers are are so much more professional now than 50 years ago. You have a high level of training, a high level of accountability, uh, mm-hmm. various checks and balances in place to help ensure that Police officers are, are doing their job properly, exercising their discretion in the right manner. Uh, my experience in law enforcement, I work with so many professionals from so many different agencies uh, that uh, people in communities should be proud of the law enforcement officers and the job that they're doing. But nonetheless, so it, some of it is rooted in those that feel that racism exists and mm-hmm. still exists. And the other, the other, Disparity is rooted in the people who that those that uh, have less economic means are treated in a way that is not as good as those with more economic means. Meaning that mm-hmm. is inherently uh, discriminate against, discriminates against poorer people. I can understand some of that in cases where bail is not applied properly. Um, there's no question about that. But bail can be uh, if you look at it, at a case of uh, so people advocating for these laws point to Harvey Weinstein and the fact that he's rich and he's out on two million dollars bail. Well, the question is now: Is he a danger to the community or not? And one of the things that bail can do is help to mitigate someone's behavior, can help to guide, can help to prevent an individual from reoffending if they know that their liberties are at stake. So bail can be a useful tool, uh, but if, it, if it's misapplied 
Not so much, and and I can understand where they're coming from. But I think what happened in this case is that they've just gone way too far. Rather than trying to right some wrongs and deal with the safety of our communities, they simply just scrap it all and throw it out. As a result, we've got people out reoffending and victimizing again, and they're victimizing people and families and communities. Uh, there, there are those that want to say that this is fear-mongering. Well, you're not in immediate danger right now, but you still don't know. That drunk driver in Long Island with six felonies, five misdemeanors, five failures to appear, you don't know what road he's going to drive drunk down again. And That's he right. happened to be driving down. Oh, right. A, right. A, a UB graduate, as a matter of fact. I think, that, I think the young man was 28 years old, gra- recently graduated from the University of Buffalo, lived in Long Island. He happened to be down driving on the wrong road when this drunk driver came along yet again and killed him. And, that, oh. and that's the danger that our communities face in various yeah. forms. Now, I understand that you have a petition on your website. How is that going? Well, collectively, I, I don't know the exact number that we have on our website, but there's a number of legislators in our conference that have have petitions uh, where Collectively, uh, we've obtained uh, thousands of signatures. I think more. I think it's over five thousand right now. But there are various petition efforts, and I think one of the ways to engage people in our de- democracy is to try to get them involved in petitions, and then try to use that. Their, their elected representatives stand up and say, "Hey, I've got thousands of people that are concerned about this," and we try mm-hmm. to reach this in all communities across the state to try to bring attention to the fact that this is a bad law and should be changed. And if you look over time, uh, if you look over time, go as early as the Boston Tea Party. You had citizens speaking out about a government action that they think is wrong-headed or or ill-conceived. And that's what's going on here. Unfortunately, I'm not in the majority conference where we can set the agenda and put it for a vote right now. So we have to work to convince the legislative leaders that there's enough concern across the entire state that this needs to change. Well, I'll, I'll let our listeners know where your website is so that they can sign that petition. They can go to it's Gallivan at nysenate.gov. Okay, very good. And if they forget that, you can go nysenate.gov and uh, nysenate.gov and you can uh, find all the senators there, as a matter of fact. Oh, good. Okay, very well. John, did you have a question for the senator? Um, uh, yes, I do. Um, senator, it's uh, John Snedden. Um, uh, greatly appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with us today. Um, you do it, John. I appreciate it, appreciate it. The, uh, it brought to mind the fact that uh, the Livingston uh, County Sheriff just issued something uh, about uh, – Within the past two weeks, where where there was a guy that was uh, um, picked up five different times by five different uh, law enforcement entities, and they all had to let him go. So, um, I mean, it, it, it speaks to to the uh, you know repetitive circumstances that would allow a person to continue their uh, crimes. Um, do you know if they ever? Before they enacted this change, did they make inquiry or consult 
any other any law enforcement officers or law enforcement agencies before they did not this? that I'm not that I'm aware of, and that's that's a very interesting uh, point that you bring up because if you just look at all laws in general, the system is designed for something to be for ideas to be introduced and various positions debated and. And you generally allow for a period of time for the public to have input, um, to engage with with their legislators so that their voice can be heard. And that was not the case here. This was uh, one of the things that this particular governor has, has used to his advantage is a provision in the Constitution that allows the governor to insert non-budgetary items in his budget. So what ends up happening, a budget the laws, when a budget is enacted, encompass over a thousand pages, and they put other things in there. And when other things are placed in there, they don't really get the justice they deserve, so to speak, on the floor or the attention that they deserve on the Senate floor or the Assembly floor, because people are more focused on the dollars and cents of our 170 plus billion dollar budget. And so this was something that was put in the budget last year. It uh, it was largely unnoticed by the public. I mean, I noticed it, and others up here. Yeah. Wow. But it took a while before the public became aware of this. And then as the pu- public became more and more aware of it from the summer into the fall, and now after the first of the year, you can see the outrage across the state and communities all across the state. We get a newspaper clipping service uh, where we see the headlines, so I'm not just the newspaper, but but, but we we see it from um, things posted on the internet, uh, the various news services that are there, television, radio, and so on. And every day, there's I, I'm seeing 15, 20, 25 different stories of people in community speaking up against this particular law, or instances where somebody has been released. So the point you bring up is a very good one. There was not a lot of public notice regarding this change. It was put through in the budget where in no way, shape, or form did it get the attention or debate that it deserved. To take that kind of action and put people at at risk, and particularly uh, other law enforcement officers at risk um, by virtue of having to, you know, potentially – um, deal with that individual repeatedly in the same day, where I know. Uh, where they where they're hotheads and they're you know it gets hotter as it goes. I can see that excel uh, um, escalating out of control. Well, you think of a, a of cases involving domestic violence that you guys have dealt with over years, and you can see that. So you've got anger on both sides. Somebody gets arrested when they're released again. When they're released only an hour or two later, likely the anger has not subsided, and the situation could still be volatile. There was a case over in the Rochester area about a week and a half or two ago. Um, it was one guy pointed a shotgun at another guy, threatened to kill him, um, didn't shoot. So it was a reckless endangerment. I was arrested, released on an appearance ticket, and there he was again, calling him on the top, telling him he's going to kill him after he got out. Oh, you're right, right. Again, but you can see that the point you bring up is really a good one about those volatile situations. That if somebody was in danger before the arrest, 
when the bad guy or girl is taken out of circulation for an hour or two, that doesn't necessarily mean that the individual that they victimize is not still in danger. Right. Really, they have no. They don't even have a time out, as Tom would say. They don't even have a time really. out to think about what they're doing. Not really, especially if a police precinct is right in their neighborhood. And you oh, look how fast somebody could be processed and released. Incredible. Yeah, this is one that has a lot of people, including me, shaking shaking their heads. And going back to the, the bank wrapper, what were they thinking? It's just, I, I understand, I really do understand some of some of the concerns where we've seen people treated unfairly over time. Hey, Senator, I, I'm just I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Go ahead. I, I have Tom Purcell I'm sitting with here, and he has a question for you. All righty. Uh, Senator, thanks for uh, accepting our invitation. Uh, that I'm sure our listeners are really going to appreciate you being here. Um, what I want to focus on while I have you for a couple of seconds is the media. You've been in the uh, Senate for 10 years, right? And how is how is your relationship been with the media? Because I believe that the media is also the side in the ointment here. Our average citizenship did not see this coming. And the reason they did not see it coming, because we live in a liberal New York society. Conservatives did not want to be told about this. Now that they're hearing about it, you hear the outrage. And now it's kind of like uh, we're trying to close the barn door after the horse is already gone. So I understand, you know, what you were saying, and I'm just trying to trying to see how are we going to do this without the help of the media? And the only way to get the help of the media is to really be enraged and loud ourselves. Uh, can you speak to speak on that for a moment, please? Um, yes. The very last thing you said about all of us being enraged and loud about this, I feel is very necessary in order to get the media's attention. Now, the media is now covering this across the state. Um, in some places, I think they are a little more objective than others, but I'm seeing reports from around the state, and including in New York City. I've seen the New York Post is uh, written about this particular topic uh, a, a number of times on a regular basis, as a matter of fact, over the past month or two. Newsday out on Long Island has done the same, and then various, various media outlets throughout the state. I haven't seen so much of it reported in western New York, uh, but I have seen people on both sides of the issue in, in the newspaper, uh, in the editorial pages. Um, I've, I've seen comments there, uh, people on both sides of the issue, and not all of it is accurate information that's being portrayed. I'll give you an example. So they, uh, well over 90% of the cases are no longer eligible for bail. So what's excluded in that is, is quote, unquote, violent crimes. Well, uh, violent crimes are, are not what the average person would think of an act of violence. There's in, in New York State's criminal procedure law, there's a whole section of crimes uh, that are identified as violent crimes for the purpose of sentencing. But there are some crimes that are accepted out of this. So burglary second, that's 
the burglary of a home is an exception in the statute. So if somebody breaks into a home, gets arrested by the police, they get processed an appearance ticket, they get back out, they can break into another home, and so on. Robbery, second degree, pretty serious crime. That's physical contact, taking something off somebody's body. You could even be hurting them and still robbery, second degree. That's accepted out of the crime. Vehicular manslaughter, driving drunk with a suspended license and killing somebody. That's violent to me. Punching somebody in the mouth, mouth assault third. Another act of violence that that uh, is not eligible. So going back to what I mentioned earlier about how New York State, uh, the bail statutes, even before December 31st, did not allow a judge in almost all cases and, uh, to to consider an individual's dangerousness to the community. I think that partic- that's the particular area that's problematic. So we're one of only three states that we can't do that. And I, I think not only do we need to repeal the bail laws, but we need to go further for judges to dangerousness to the community. Governor points to uh, success with getting rid of cash bail in New Jersey. But they're not apples and oranges. In New Jersey, a couple things take place. First and foremost, though, the judges still have the discretion to consider an individual's dangerousness to the community when they're arrested. So public safety is first before anything else over in New Jersey. And if we had that in New York State, the public safety component first, I think there would be a lot less concern as to whether or not somebody could be released on bail or not. The judge could simply make the decision, okay, you're a danger to the community. We're not going to release you. Okay, Senator. Now, search warrant, we put it out there for our listeners to see the list. We just did the first page, and it was ridiculous, about um, offenses that the judges have no control over holding a suspect or not, right? But what I have is, is this lack of list or notification in the media. Isn't that something that even our our government officials and our Senate and our Congress people should be getting this out in the media for the average person to feel, uh, I'd like to say safe, but actually more unsafe, so that they can get outraged? Outraged citizens are the only thing that are going to fix this. Don't you believe that? I do believe that. Um, the answer is yes. Uh, yes to shouldn't the elected officials be giving it out, and a number of them are, uh, but it's not necessarily being being reported everywhere. So you see some legislators have released it on Facebook or through through other means, and I've seen those lists that are out there. Uh, and I, I think it just requires a constant effort. I'll give you the our case. We, we try to communicate with people through press releases. We try to communicate through the social media, including Facebook. We have community representatives in each of the four counties that that uh, my Senate district encompasses, um, Erie, Wyoming, Livingston, and Monroe County. We have all of our staff people armed with information and talking points about this particular piece of legislation. And if I can't be somewhere, they're often representing and speaking on my behalf and talking about this. And I know there's other legislators d- doing that, and we just we need to keep it up. We're going to actually on February 6th, we will ha- have the first in a series of the the so-called bail reform hearings that our conference is putting on, where we are we we are going to hear from 
uh, law enforcement officials, prosecutors, victim advocates, and others that are concerned about the problems that they're encountering with this particular law. And the whole purpose in doing this throughout the state is to, con- is to continue to garner attention to the problems with it. But I, we, we have to keep, we have to speak loud, we have to be enraged, and we have to try to get as many people to do the same in order to change this. Thank you, Senator. John, is there any other questions that you have for the senator? I think uh, I think that's a very good point that uh, you know yeah. people people are clearly enraged in the city. Uh, you know, every day there's. 10 or 20 things come out that you cannot believe. Um, For them to be able to hear it also from central and western New York and the southern tier, um, I'm sure those people are just as enraged as uh, the people in the city, and it'll afford them the opportunity to have a voice in this whole thing. Well, that's great. It is, but you still have areas that the representatives who have voted in favor of it are not necessarily speaking the complete truth about what this law does. And so that information is not getting it out everywhere. So we, we have to continue the effort to try to bring, bring, bring that message into the communities that aren't getting the accurate information. It's unfortunate that your uh, colleagues aren't emulating your, you know, position on that, at least allowing people to speak to the problem. Well, some of them are, but I think I, I have the advantage that most of them do not is that you know, a lot of my adult life and my professional was in criminal justice. And so this is something that I'm not only am I passionate about, I, you know, I've had the experience in, and I think it helps with the understanding of the problems. You know, you look at all the laws as written and they're very complicated, but you, you, just, break, you just bring this into simple terms. A law was passed. It's bad. It's unsafe for our communities, and it needs to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the message to get out. Yeah. Well, Senator, I know I know we're running out of time. Um, I'd like to tell our listeners that if they want to get some more information, that they could contact um, us. Again, our, our Twitter account number is? Oh, it's uh, at search warrant one and our uh, uh, email address is uh, searchwarrant02 at gmail.com. If you want to, um, if you have any, any further questions or if you want to uh, comment, uh, we'd be happy to, uh, to receive those. Okay. Uh, Senator, if there's anything else that we can do, please let us know. And um, hopefully maybe you could be a guest again and so we could cover the development of this. I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate this opportunity, and I thank you for helping to get the word out. Thank you, Senator. Thank you very much, Senator. Thank okay. you. All right, my pleasure. Take care. Okay, bye.